Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Claire Thomas. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land. Treaty was never made in Australia. Now, as I mentioned, we are back from intermission. This is part two of our great conversation with Claire Thomas. If you haven't already listened to part one, I'd suggest you go back and start there. Claire Thomas is the author of Fugitive Blue, which won the Dobby Award for Women Writers and was longlisted for the Miles Franklin Literary Award. Today, she is joining me to discuss her latest novel, the already critically acclaimed The Performance. In The Performance, three women are attending a staging of Samuel Beckett's play Happy Days. Inside, the theatre is air-conditioned to a chill, while outside, bushfires rage around the city. On the stage, a woman is trapped to her waist inside an expanding mound, happily exploring her past through items in her bag. Within the audience, the women's minds drift out across time. Margot considers her family, expanded to include a new grandson, even as her husband slowly moves into his old age. Ivy thinks about her world and how far she's come from the person that she was at uni. While Summer wishes she could pay closer attention to the stage, her job is to usher guests to their seats, but her mind is miles away as the fires circling the city move closer to her girlfriend's family home. Join me as we discover Claire Thomas's The Performance. Claire, right now I am going to borrow a leaf, or more appropriately 25 to 26 leaves from your book and stage an intermission. I am speaking and we have been going very deep on the themes of the book, but now I actually want to take something stylistically for our intermission. Mm -hmm. At around about the two-thirds point, you juxtapose the prose of each woman's internal thoughts that we have been working through with an intermission. The, the theatre the theater leaves out, people go to the lobby to get their drinks, and you detail those interactions, and it, it becomes a theatrical script. And I felt this definite mm-hmm. schism of reality, mm-hmm. like somehow that the internal was more real than the embodied visceral moments that we spend together. Yes. Well, yes, that's a, I, that's a good observation. I mean, I think I wanted, I knew that I couldn't write the interval in the same way as the play section. Um, so yeah, the, the, the idea of the, the script was, um, yeah, really flipping it. Flipping the reader's point of view from being very inside these women to actually watching them for the first time, seeing them moving and interacting. Um, and I forgot which question was. There wasn't a question. I'm, um, I'm very no, sorry. It was an observation. No, no, no. That's fine. <laughs> no, so, yeah, but I, and so the question, yes, I think that that sense of, um, again, I think different readers will have a different different responses to this, but I like that um, question that you raised, that it, it makes you consider uh, what's more 
real. <laughs> the fictional close third person thinking. I want to. I want to even. I want to even. Bit, yeah. yeah. I want to even take our listeners into that space a little bit because if you if you're a mm-hmm. regular theatre goer and no one has been for a year and a half, but if you were, no. you would be familiar with that experience of of walking out of the darkness and blinking into the light and suddenly having to deal with bodies around you, but also at around about uh, page two hundred something, mm-hmm. we move from the sort of the crisp text of the book into a a slightly darker format, a different font. You very, like very physically recreate that, that blinking sensation. Yeah. I wanted it to look like an actual separate document had been slid inside the book, inside the novel. So there's not even headers and footers. And um, so that was a fun kind of thing for the, to work with the typesetting people um, to make it look like a little one-act play that had been slotted in to the to the actual book. Um, it forces us yeah. to do. It forces us to do so much more to because I mean I guess when you're inside an an internal POV, you you feel or perhaps trust that you have. The whole picture, or at least the whole picture that the, the mm. character is able to admit to themselves, whereas suddenly we're viewing from afar, we're doing a lot more inferential reasoning, like what's happening? I can see in these interactions what tone yeah. of voice, what is that body language? Mm. And I think the the interval section is quite minimalist mm. and I don't think it would work w- without you having known the characters very well beforehand because as you say um, you take all that knowledge with them and it's sort of oh look at Ivy being awkward there or you know so you sort of yeah you know them what, and you can imagine what they're thinking even without it being written down well that's what I was hoping the effect would be mm. um, that the reader would uh, extrapolate from the, the, the minimal script yeah. It's also a moment where the characters do actually come together and it, it really kind of mm-hmm. highlighted something that I had, had been noticing through throughout that motherhood and mothers, they figure very heavily mm-hmm. in the characters' thoughts. Margot mm-hmm. is, is battling with this sort of ambivalence to her new grandchild. Ivy is is thinking she's thinking about her, her baby, but also thinking back to the loss of her first child. Summer is working through mm-hmm. pain at her mother's refusal yeah. to tell her more about her, 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 who she is. And as they mm-hmm. kind of, as they wind around each other's orbits, their relationships, I guess they, they sort of seem to compound. And, and motherhood, it seems to be this, this state, this role, this identity that can be simultaneously silenced and demonised. And are mothers even, are they allowed to be complex? Are they allowed to be something other than a huh. role that's prescribed to them? Of course they are. Everybody, I mean, you know, this is the thing that when when motherhood sort of discussed as a as a as a sort of discrete category, mm. every single person who's alive came from a mother. Yeah, I mean that's just basic. So it's not niche. Um, so being mothered or not mothered, or being a mother or not being a mother, it is absolutely the most bog standard um, component of human life that. That there is, um, but of course, um, 
on a societal level, it's a complicated role, and it, it's there's a there is a lot imposed on the identity of a mother and and the different ways um, one can or cannot mother or be mothered or um, yeah, and that's that's all there. Well, not all there, but yeah, there's that's something that kind of does hover over them. Um, and I wanted to do that probably to counter exactly what you said that, that you know a mother can't be complex. And it's like, well, every you know, of course they can. Mm. And so, but even not just as a human, of course they can be complex. I mean, that's just obvious. But more as a mother. So even with even within their role as a mother, that can be extremely complicated. You know, regardless of anything else that's going on in their life. So, so you can, I, and I wanted to capture the the joy and the fear and the pain and you know, and the good and the bad and the, you know a lot of it. But but in the way that um, it's another kind of relationship that I'm interested in. So. Um, yeah, and I guess if I get a bit personal, I've got three children mm. and I would say I've had quite different experiences with them as they're all still young, but um, no, quite different experiences each time for, ver- for various reasons. Um, so even if the one person's a mother once, it's they're not even the same mother when they're a mother twice. So I think uh, despite the kind of, yeah, the stereotype that motherhood is um, sort of a non, it's just simple, Mm. actually. It's as complicated as any other relationship and often more complicated. Um, And then... And, and then, of course, it's the, the being mothered and what impact um, the mother has. And without, and I was careful not to blame everything on <laughs> wrong on the mother, because um, that often happens. Um, so, Margot, for you mentioned that she's ambivalent, um, and she sort of was as a mother as well. But that was fine, and it wasn't. There was no guilt, and it was a. And it was her dynamic in her family was worked for the people in her family, um, but she's finding that ambivalence as a grandmother is even more taboo than ambivalence as a mother. Mm. Um, so that's an, another little inflection on it, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I think I, I mean I mentioned before that I, I always want to be very careful about drawing parallels that just simply can't exist for a book that that was composed well before a current moment but I, yeah. you had me you had me thinking about particular instances that uh, of of where fatherhood and motherhood were i guess weaponized on the national stage recently but also uh, yeah, yeah or, also well, just the idea that you can't have a complete understanding mm. with, you know anyway all, uh, uh, and also, yeah, just that idea—just that idea that mothers are somehow meant to be static and pure mm. and and arbiters mm. of something, and that fathers fathers are allowed to. I mean, there, there, another another thought that occurred to me that counters this is is the absence of men 
in the performance. They're, they're mentioned, but we see some are very, uh, very much is thinking and, and mourning and wondering about a father that she doesn't know about. Margot, oh, this is sort of in spoiler territory. This is a weird book to talk about spoilers, but there is so much about these characters well, that people discover. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, but I think that I don't think, yeah, the, the main characters are women, but they they have some relationships with men. I mean, I did, and Margot's um, husband is definitely a significant. Um, and I didn't mean I didn't mean player. absence in yeah. the sense that there are no male characters, but Summer's father is defined by his absence, and Margot is yep. trying to come to terms with, I guess, an encroaching absence in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and which, then, of course, there's Willie on stage, who's this one. <laughs> yeah, Will, Willie. So we haven't even mentioned him because he's so insignificant. But in the play, mm. there's also that you know the man who just sort of pops in, grunts and. Leaves again, um, and that absence—the way the way that, that yeah—the way that absence yeah, can be allowed and somehow excused. And I, again, I, uh-huh. I mentioned that particular weaponizing of fatherhood before. Mm. That somehow fathers are allowed to be all things, and oh, mm-hmm. if they if they mess up occasionally, forgive them because they've been busy do, being men as well as fathers. Like somehow that's a different thing, and mm-hmm. and also in this the you know the broader cultural debate about how masculinity needs to be refined and, and manhood 2.0 or however people want to talk about it. Yeah. We, I never, mean, we never hear that sort of flexibility applied to other people. No. And, I mean, I have to say nothing bores me more than discussions around masculinity. I can't tell you how much. Mm. I just – it's just a broken record. Mm. And – um. You know, I'm not. I just wanted it to to mm. be um, what it was for me. Women are the centre of the world; they're not peripheral. So that's what I wrote, and I'm not. Yeah. And um, you know, and I I didn't even I just didn't care about the man. I, I mean, I did, but you know, it's just not. Um, I don't. Yeah, I know. I, I I completely understand. Many power is shit and limited, and uh, get away with absolutely mm. appalling things. Yeah, I mean that's mm. we know that that's not news, and and then that's just one variable. But you know, then if they're white men or the women of color, I mean, you know, it's. Yeah. And I'm 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 apologizing, and I'll apologize to yourself as much as myself because I deliberately left all this out of my notes, and then I just you made these ideas appear in my head, and I spoke, and we all know I like. So you being a man is not taking responsibility for your own thoughts and emotions. There. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you're blaming me. I want to try and I want. Yeah. Uh, you made me have thoughts. I'm sorry. No. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to I want to acknowledge though that one of the things you do in the book, you you. You make it just, it felt so absolutely wonderful the ways that you made art, especially narrative, so central and, and so seemingly so natural and obvious within the world of the performance. And we're living in this period where the arts are seemingly, you know, they're willfully being neglected, even yeah. as we lean on the products of the arts as a crutch to, to kind of yeah. keep us sane. And yeah. like you've created this in the space of a book. Do you think is such a world of artistic wonder like really a possibility? Can we live in in this space where we we value these things? Well, look at us. Mm. Look at us, right? Look at us chatting like this matters. I mean, yeah. the thing is, you can't, you can't, you have to get past that. And 
I couldn't get past that for years and I didn't write anything else um, after my first book for a long time because I I was a um, passionate uh, consumer is a word, I no, I don't want to be an experiencer <laughs> of the arts in all ways and I cannot and would not want to live without books. But for some reason I didn't feel my own artistic voice was a necessary one and or and yeah I think that's probably the simplest way I could put it and I just got over that I was like well I'm I'm gonna uh be self-loathing about my own subjectivity forever or I'm gonna get over it and actually interrogate it and that's all we have and I think that um, I think people are passionate about art and I think that it's governments that, it, that are incredibly um, undermining mm-hmm. of art. But I think people broadly, you know, need it. And I think there was, you mentioned sort of the, the idea of our COVID times or there was so much hypocrisy around the way the arts were understood in that time as a kind of um, a thing that could just be eliminated. But then it was a huge, so many people were hugely dependent on the products of art, the music, books, um, you know, all sorts of screen art, you know, for, just to, to get them through life. And it's, so I don't. Um, oh, and the the hypocrisy yeah. the hypocrisy doesn't end. And I mean, I'll I'll cut this right. I'll cut this out later. But I'll I'll just say right now, everyone who <laughs> gets to go to a football match this weekend can think about everyone who doesn't get to go to Even see get music. To go to the Blues Festival. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And the that 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 that's that's right. And I and I mean that is an Australian phenomenon, mm. perhaps. Well, particularly, um, and you know, there's, it's a it, it manifests in all sorts of ways. But I just, I, I don't think it's. Um, I think you can have two hours in a theatre that is uh, might be transformative, or, or at the very least, it might be diverting. And I, but it's very expensive. That's a problem with theatre because of just the nature of the personnel involved. Um. You know, books are kind of great in that way. You can go to a library and read, mm. you know, without having to mm. be privileged in any way. Um, but I, I'm, yeah, it's a, it's an, it's an ongoing conundrum. Mm. And so, but I don't think we should. I don't, I don't think people normal. You know, people or and artists should believe the the kind of bullshit stance that um, governments take on the arts, mm. just that or that they are a reflection because they're not. I mean, more people in, engage in the arts than they do in sport in Australia. If, you know, there's been cultural surveys done, and it's an extraordinary amount of people all the time. So, you know. 
it's judgment. And I think certain books manage to give us quite a lot. And and that was a segue. That was a segue back to yes. the performance because yes. my experience has been this kind of perfect meld of of reading and theatre and just that beautiful – I'll come back to the question that I opened with and Marco's quote about this, that beautiful ability to wallow in one's thoughts for a little while. Mm-hmm. I am speaking with Claire Thomas. We are discussing her new novel, The Performance – Um, I am having a very complex love affair with this book. And Claire, I thank you so much for taking the time and indulging me in even my my less well thought out questions. (laughs) No, it was a delight. Very interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. That's it for this great conversation with Claire Thomas. Claire's new novel, The Performance, is out now from Hachette. And as I said, this was part two of the conversation. Do make sure you go back and listen to part one and discover so many more great conversations that are available on the podcast. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darragin Gundagara people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app for a new great conversation every week. I'm Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.